This week on Blue 58, training camp hasn't even started yet, and one player is already off the board for week one. How will that affect position battles? We'll also take a look at some of the major storylines as we head into the 2017 season. Plus, who would be silly enough to try to rank the 400 best players in the NFL? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the official podcast of the Power Sweep Dot com. I am your host, John Meerdink, joined once again by my co-host, Gary Zillavi. Gary, welcome back. Thank you, John. I've brought many sundries and gifts from my travels across the world for you. Yeah, it's been a, an interesting couple of weeks. First, you were convening with some other NFL owners. Then you uh, were traveling across the Italian countryside last week, uh, taking some fly fishing lessons. How did all that go? You know, John, I, I like to consider myself uh, an everyman and a, a multi-talented uh, individual. So all of it was great, um, from the, the, the pizza in Italy to uh, the, the fly fishing uh, in the lakes of Minnesota. John, I, I couldn't be more ready to talk Packers and to get into training camp. Well, it sounds like it was a restful offseason indeed, so let's dive right in with some headlines, starting with a guy who's going to be spending training camp getting ready to sit on the bench for week one or not even sit anywhere near the Packers, assuming he makes that final 53-man roster. Geronimo Allison has been suspended for the first game of the 2017 season. It's related to a drug arrest that happened almost exactly a year ago now. He was arrested, I guess technically as a practice squad player, early in his tenure in Green Bay, uh, ultimately wound that through the legal system and ends up now with a one-game suspension for that uh, entire incident. Gary, do you think this affects Allison's chances of making the roster at all? I don't think it will. Uh, you know, I, th- I think that the best case scenario for Allison and for the Packers is that, you know, if there's a couple of guys on the bubble, you can both, at wide receiver, you can both bring them into that first game and see if one of them shows you something in that in that week one contest. But barring a very underwhelming uh, training camp from Allison, I don't think this affects his status on the roster. I, I, I definitely have him on there despite the suspension. Yeah, I don't think it really affects his, his long-term chances with the Packers. He may not be as much of a factor early in the season, but like you pointed out, it could give the Packers look at a couple guys a little bit longer than they may have Otherwise, ultimately, this is kind of just a a small bump in the road for the Packers. A bit bigger, more meaty piece, Gary returns to to the blog with a very, very interesting piece on the Packers coaching staff. One thought on each and every one of the Green Bay Packers uh, coaches. Gary, what's the best fact that you've uh, unearthed so far? Or facts? Well, John, I I really find it interesting how uh, the Badgers and the Packers are connected uh, not only, you know, you got Vince Beagle now, a rookie on the Packers roster, but Dave Aranda, the the def- successful defensive coordinator for Wisconsin, has behind the scenes been quite involved with the Packers. Uh, if you don't know, Aranda, the defensive coordinator for Gary Anderson, who during his tenure with Wisconsin was was um, had Aranda as his defensive coordinator. And in 2013, Dom Capers met with Aranda in the offseason and they talked about the zone read, you may remember that offseason uh, that was following the San Francisco 49ers loss in the postseason. Uh, Capers was looking for some tips on how to defend Kaepernick and more broadly the zone read. Aranda had faced Kaepernick in college. Aranda previously with Utah State, Kaepernick with Nevada. 
but so two years later in 2015, Aranda interviewed for a position on the Packers coaching staff that ultimately wound up going to Jerry Montgomery at the time of uh, at Oklahoma. And now, so Aranda went from from essentially being a a defensive assistant coach for the Packers to being one of the hottest and highest paid defensive coordinators in college football at LSU. I find it fascinating how uh, Aranda could have could have made a, a move to the pros, uh, instead stuck in the college ranks, and is now a, a coordinator uh, for, for an SEC school and making over a mill. It's a really interesting way how we've seen him kind of weave in and out. Uh, lots of good nuggets on the rest of the team. If you're a fan of the Pitt Panthers, uh, you'll recognize a lot of names on this coaching staff, though. Deep, deep Pittsburgh connections uh, for the Green Bay Packers, and not just because Mike McCarthy is a, a Pittsburgh man himself. Great work by Gary on that piece. Finally, a piece with uh, with maybe not so much good thought behind it. Um, ranking players is the thing to do these days. Everybody's got a list ranking their players. NFL Network has their NF- annual NFL 100, which is bad. Pro Football Focus ranks their top 101 players and asks you to take their word for it on on their grading and stuff like that. Bleacher Report does, I think, the top 2,500 players in the league or ranks all 2,500 players in the league, which is a special kind of insanity. Today, Peter King's Monday Morning Quarterback rolled out what they're calling the MMQB 400. Andy Benoit wrote it. It's very bad. Uh, Gary, on a scale of 9 to 10, how much do poorly reasoned lists bother you? Well, they bother me as much as it bothers Andy Benoit that Ty Montgomery is still wearing 88. Which is to say a lot, apparently. <laughs> he has mentioned that so many times online. I don't understand that. It doesn't. It's, it's, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. It's the rules. He can wear that. And even if it wasn't, who cares? Anyway, you were saying. John, I, I thought your piece was really interesting on this. When you look at some of the Packers, the one that was really a head scratcher for me was Aaron Rodgers uh, ranking below J.J. Watt. Watt played three games last year. So I, I, my explanation of, of this rating and why it doesn't really make sense is, uh, I guess, Benoit's entire reasoning was he's trying to rank players like if a player is ranked number one, that means that he is better at his job than everyone else behind him on the list. So two through 400. Player number two is better at his job than everyone else on the list except for the player ahead of him and so on. So J.J. Watt ranks as the number two player in the NFL according to Andy Benoit, which means that he is better at his job than Aaron Rodgers is at his I'm not sure how you come to that conclusion because last year J.J. Watt played only three games. And if you if you take into consideration that Aaron Rodgers wasn't very good at the start of the 2016 season and just throw those seasons out for both guys, then all you have to compare them to each other is 2011 through 2015, the five seasons that they were in the league at the same time. In that stretch, Aaron Rodgers has been to the NFC Championship game, uh, what was it, one uh, two times? Uh, he's won two league MVPs, and he's been arguably the best quarterback to ever play the game through that stretch. I just don't know how you can put Watt higher than him if that if that's the standard. It's it's or or how do you even compare a defensive end to a quarterback to begin with? It just doesn't make any sense. And 
I think we can all agree that ranking players is bad. So let's just not rank players anymore. No one should rank anyone. Showing up next week on the podcast, we'll rank every player on the Packers roster. Every, Tune in next week. Every player that has ever played for any team in any league, we're going to rank all of them. That's just what, what the power sweep is going to be from now on. We're just going to rank players. Um, and we're going to spend 20 minutes debating whether Travis Jervy or Whisper Goodman uh, belong higher on that list. So be sure to tune in. You, That's going to be a real barn burner. Do you value Whisper Goodman more than you value Jimmy Johnson, the NASCAR racer, more than Jimmy Johnson, the NFL coach? That's what it really comes down to for me, I think. These are the real questions that we need to be asking. Why is everyone else dodging these questions? Hey, we're going to dive into this week's or this year's storylines coming up for 2017 in just a second. But first, I wanted to make you aware of something that you should be watching for this week at thepowersweep.com. We've, we've done a, a great deal of work behind the scenes on, on getting our, our T-shirt game together. And right now you can buy some really great stuff uh, via our storefront at spreadshirt.com. You should check those out. I've seen a couple different designs in person already. My dad bought a really nice looking t-shirt from spreadshirt.com. That looks really great. My wife bought a t-shirt of a different variety and actually a different color as well. That looks pretty awesome too. My mom bought a hooded sweatshirt. All of them look really, really great and they're all made of high quality material. All of that good stuff. They fit great, look awesome, pretty cool stuff. But wait, there's more. Coming up very soon, you're going to have an opportunity to get involved in the apparel process at thepowersweep.com. You'll know exactly what that means if you uh, follow closely. Keep a keen eye on uh, uh, thepowersweep.com over the next few days. I think you're going to like some of what you're seeing. So if you like what's up there already, go ahead, dive in, buy yourself a shirt. Uh, if you're a little bit more on the fence, there's some good stuff coming as well. So keep an eye out for that over the next couple days and weeks. All right, let's talk about these storylines for 2017. Blue, 58, so coming into a season, you never really know what it's going to be like. I've compared it in the past to like a, a five-act play or something like that. You spend a little bit of early time kind of getting to know who the major characters are going to be. Then you sort of develop the story over the, the, the early part of the season. You really start to get into some dramatic stuff towards the middle. And then that kind of determines how the last two major parts of your season really go. Maybe you won't even end up having a last part of your season if you don't make the playoffs. You'll just be one of those teams that falls off towards the end. Really was, won't matter. What we'd like to do today is take a little bit of time to talk about some storylines that we think could be important as we head into this 2017 season. So let's just jump right in. We'll go back and forth. Gary and I will toss some, some storylines at each other and see how, how it goes here. Uh, Gary, first one I want to talk about is the running back situation. The Packers are going into this camp with five rookie running backs, three draft picks, uh, two relatively high-profile undrafted free agents, and running backs have really been a serious issue for the Packers dating back about a year. Lace, Eddie Lacy was not in great shape starting last season, really didn't finish 2014 in super great shape. And the, the Eddie Lacy weight watch was a, a big storyline to start last season. And, of course, you know how that went through the 2016 season. He ended up getting beat up pretty much physically, uh, ended up on injured reserve. Ty Montgomery switches to running back. You know the story from there. This season, it seems like it's going to be completely different, and that's in part 
because of these rookie running backs. Uh, we've talked a lot about the the backs that we're the most excited about, but what do you think, I guess, Gary, just of the group as a whole? I like the con- I like the variety of talent that's in the running back group right now. Uh, I don't think Montgomery needs to be the bell cow or the, the lead running back. I, I don't think the Packers offense works like that. I, you know, John, as I've tried to distance myself from the draft and think about contextually how these rookies might fit in, I keep coming back to that 1999 Packers draft. This was Ron Wolf kind of a knee-jerk reaction to Randy Moss's arrival in the NFL. And the Packers went back to back to back in the first, second, and third rounds, drafting defensive backs, Antoine Edwards in the first round, Fred Vincent in the second round, and Mike McKenzie in the third round. Now of that list, McKenzie's the one you know, uh, but if you would have asked fans going into that uh, first season, who are you most excited about, probably goes in order of their draft order. And I think the Packers fans might be suffering from a little bit of the same with these rookie running backs. So as much as you can, I think it's important to take the draft status and what round they were drafted in or not drafted in out of it and evaluate these running backs as they are and and how they perform. Because, shoot, you want somebody that's going to pass protect, that's going to run the ball well out of shotgun and be able to catch the ball out of the backfield. And whoever can do that is going to get some serious fantasy points and some serious money. Yeah, I think uh, that's a good summation of it, and I like the comparison there to the to the defensive backs uh, in the 1999 draft. Flipping over to the other side of the defense, inside linebacker, another position kind of in flux this season, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think it is, John, and, and this is this is something that you and I have talked a lot about at length, just personally. Does it matter who plays inside linebacker for the Packers? John, you had brought up a really interesting nugget when looking at that position group about Joe Thomas and how you know he had played 100% of the snaps uh, more than any other Packers inside linebacker. It, it really, Joe Thomas wasn't the, the the stud of the group. Does it matter? You know, with the arrival of Josh Jones, you're going to have some safeties playing up in the box. Is it a bit of a hybrid approach? Maybe the Packers look at Jeff Janis at inside linebacker. Who knows? Vince Beagle, you know, was drafted and, and could certainly slide over in that spot. There's does it really matter though? It it doesn't matter in the sense that it doesn't matter who's at the top of the depth chart listed as an inside linebacker. Like the positions on the roster are almost meaningless. You just need big guys at the front, slightly smaller guys that are pretty fast uh, a little bit behind that and then some very very fast guys behind that. Positions it it really doesn't matter the way it used to. I know if you're playing Madden or stuff or or something like that, positions matter a lot because the the game slots you into putting certain guys in certain spots. The NFL doesn't work that way, and and it doesn't matter who is listed at linebacker. What matters is who's lining up in the middle of the Packers defense, uh, kind of going between the defensive line and the defensive backfield who's going to be responsible for chasing down running backs out of the backfield and covering tight ends do the Packers go with a more traditional body type there like a Jake Ryan or a Blake Martinez or do they go with somebody that tends a little bit more towards that hybrid variety Joe Thomas Morgan Burnett Josh Jones that's the question to me that I think you need to ask and and we'll see what happens there I'm really interested to see what Josh Jones does I think Morgan Burnett has a chance to play down there uh, we'll we'll see. Uh, now let's flip over to the other side of the ball, John. 
Yeah, moving back towards that offensive side. Wide receiver, again, a position of great depth for the Packers, but also some uncertainty there. I would say you've got three guys that are pretty much guaranteed a roster spot no matter what. Um, that would be Jordy Nelson, Devontae Adams, and Randall Cobb. Nothing's going to happen to those guys. I mean, short of an injury, they're going to be the top three wide receivers for the Packers to start the season. That could change. Somebody could come on really hard and just be a world beater and you know take over for one of those guys. I don't see that happening, but you know it's not outside the realm of possibility. But going into camp, those are the top three guys. But beyond that, you have Geronimo Allison. You have last year's fifth-round pick, Trevor Davis. You have this year's fifth-round pick, Malachi Dupree. This year's seventh-round pick, D'Angelo Yancey. And then floating around in there somewhere in the mix, Jeff Janis, whatever variety of wide receiver he is. Who wants to be a wide receiver for Aaron Rodgers? It's going to be a fierce competition for roster spots four through seven, I guess, uh, at wide receiver this year. I think seven is is within the realm of possibility. How about you? I think it is given Allison's suspension uh, that that's going to keep him out that first week. They they very well, I would imagine, take six wide receivers on that initial 53 because Allison wouldn't count towards that 53. So it would be six, but really five. Uh, I think seven's a possibility, though I I have a hard time believing that both Malachi Dupree and D'Angelo Yancey are going to jump past Trevor Davis. I, I think we get a little bit caught in the the prism of what's new and what's exciting. And Trevor Davis had some real flashes of greatness. That's an overstatement, but he was he, he looked pretty good at some times. If you go back and watch that Atlanta regular season game, I think you'll see some flashes that, man, that guy could be a real threat for the Packers just because he's not in the, you know, not a rookie, not that flashy name anymore. doesn't mean that he can't still make a difference. So I wouldn't sleep on Trevor Davis. I do think the road most likely ends here for Jeff Janis, at least in Green Bay. I think uh, the thing about Trevor Davis is he's got something that almost nobody else on the Packers roster has, insane speed. I mean, you look at his punt return from that Atlanta game, he can he can fly when he gets into the open field. And I know the Packers would love to have the opportunity to have someone with that kind of speed on the field, uh, it could be pretty crazy. Jumping back over to defense, uh, Gary, this was uh, something uh, you had suggested. Where does HaHa Clinton Dix go from here? Well, I don't know, John, and that's that's really going to be an interesting storyline for this season. I think that he took a big step forward this past season and solidified himself as a as a name. I'll, you know, if you think about kids playing Madden, people talking about the Packers defense and who's on it. Ha ha Clinton Dix certainly is in that first group with Clay Matthews, with Nick, Nick Perry, excuse me. I think that Clinton Dix is, is likely on his way to another pro bowl season, uh, potentially another uh, all pro season, but is he a top five safety? Is he a cam chancellor? Is he a Earl Thomas? Is he that kind of caliber of a safety or is he somewhere lower than that? I think we'll start to see what we can expect from Clinton Dix here in 2017 and going forward. I think that's a, going to be a very, very interesting storyline. And, and let's be real, like if he doesn't develop into a, a top five safety in that league, but he still ends up on kind of that, that borderline um, pro bowl slash very, very good safety. I think that's still pretty good. Like you can be happy with that. Not everybody has to be the greatest player in the history of the league. Or you know, top. if he doesn't improve at all, if he stays exactly how he is right now, 
I'd consider his draft pick and his career a success. Yeah, I think I think he if he never gets better than he was last season, I think he ends up being a good kind of comparison on the offensive side, a guy like Brian Bulaga. Maybe not, you know, a top five offensive lineman, but a very, very good, solid first round choice. The Packers haven't necessarily had a lot of those guys. I mean, if if Dayton Jones was 85% as good as Ha Ha Clinton Dix, like that close to being a Pro Bowl level player, he wouldn't be in Minnesota right now. He would have re-signed in Green Bay. The Packers would have brought him back. The Packers haven't had a lot of pretty good first round picks. They've either been really, really good or trending towards really, really good or just kind of either really bad or just kind of meh. But if, if, like you said, if Ha Ha never gets better than he was last season, that's fine. I'm on board with that. And I think there's a sneaky truth that you don't necessarily want all of your positions to have top five talent because your window as a team is going to close very, very fast. Guys like Balaga and if Clinton Dix stays how he is, are going to be able to get the Packers are going to be able to retain them at a reasonable cap number and keep the team together. I think in large part, that's why you've seen the Packers have such sustained 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 success that, uh, you know, they don't have guys that are top one, top two, top three at their position group. They have very good players. And and that's why they're they're in it every year, every year in the NFC. Well, look at every contender throughout the league. Nobody's winning uh, with your Madden dream team having the best player at every single position or, or the best player at their position at every single position. Nobody, you, you just can't do that. That doesn't happen. What you do is you get a couple really, really good guys at a couple key positions, fill in the rest of your roster with pretty good guys and guys that are maybe good at one thing, and then hope for the best. And the Packers have been able to do that because they've had great talent at a couple key positions, and then they hope for the best every year. It, it's They've had a couple bad breaks, uh, a couple balls bounce a different way, and uh, maybe it, it's it's two or three rings for Aaron Rodgers, but you want to be in contention every year, and that's how you do it. Sticking on the defensive side of the ball, uh, and even in, in HaHa Clinton Dix's rough position group there, the Packers have done some work in the secondary this offseason, but do you think it's going to be enough? They've got new faces at cornerback, uh, Devon House coming back, Kevin King, uh, the first draft pick for the Packers, not a first-round pick, but their, their top second-round pick, Josh Jones in there as well. Is it going to be good enough? Uh, I've done some work behind the scenes for for a post that's coming up on thepowersweep.com later this week about how uh, the Packers compared to some other kind of championship-level teams. And the big thing that you need from your secondary is is more turnovers. The Packers haven't been as good the last year or so, year or two, at forcing turnovers. So uh, I don't know. Do you think the, the revamped secondary is enough to get them over the hump? This is the one storyline, John, that I'm – I'm already fatigued with, and it's July. I tend to be of the belief that the secondary doesn't really matter. And I know I'm wrong there, but I think the Packers can get away with the talent that they have in the secondary to win a Super Bowl this year. I think it matters a lot more on how they stop the run and how they rush the passer. And if Vince Beagle, Clay Matthews, Nick Perry, those guys can get after it, can stay on the field, stay healthy, rush the quarterback, hurry the throws, close that pocket. I think the Packers secondary is going to, by design, look a lot better just off the top uh, with with 
whoever they have back there. I'm, I'm interested to see what Josh Jones does. I'm interested to see what Kevin King looks like, but ultimately I find trying to follow the cornerbacks and safeties a bit of a fool's errand because their success is so dependent on the front seven on the defense. Yeah. And and that's fair. I would just like to see a few fewer of those abject busted plays where Demarius Randall stops backpedaling and suddenly someone is just running uncontested down the right sideline. Like I got so tired of seeing that and whether that's Randall's fault or just miscommunication with somebody else in the secondary, I don't know. But it seemed to happen a lot, and it it can't be. It, it would be hard to be worse than it was last year. I just I hope they are a little bit better. Uh, Gary, you mentioned a, a, a semi morbid storyline, but one that we have to think about um, heading into twenty seventeen. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, John, but there's going to be a big name on this Packers roster that's going to get hurt, and he's going to get hurt in training camp, or he's going to get hurt in the preseason. Let's take a look at the last three years, and this is what we've got. In 2013, Brian Balaga tore his ACL on family night. That was a great day. I remember reading on Twitter that he tore his ACL and was just, it was awful. That was a bad day. Because he played the entire family night scrimmage back he did. when it still was he a did. scrimmage. And did a workout the yeah. next day. Yeah, it was, it was I, I'm, I don't want to spend the rest of our time talking about 2013 Brian Balaga injuries, but that one really upset me. Uh, the following season, B.J. Raji tore his biceps in a preseason game against the Raiders. I was in the attendance for that. I remember when the injury happened, um, the people around me were not that excited about it. And neither was I. Uh, so Raji out for the season. Uh, 2014, they were able to overcome that, however, uh, make it all the way to the NFC Championship game. Following season, you all know Jordy Nelson tore his ACL against Pittsburgh in the preseason. He was out for the year, and the Packers wide receiver and core and offense really struggled that whole season long. And then finally last season, Jared Cook missed a, a long uh, bit of training camp and preseason with that foot injury. It kind of kept him back uh, in the beginning of the season and then flared up again during the regular season. Who knows if his presence on the team might have helped Aaron Rodgers in the earlier part of the season, but uh, the Packers still were able to overcome it. So Who's going to be the early camp injury this season? And when that happens, and it most likely will, will the Packers have enough depth at that position to overcome it? It's going to happen at some point, and I'm just hoping it doesn't come. It is an Aaron Rodgers, for one thing, because that would just be all kinds of disaster. Although if you're driving, if your goal is to drive up Brett Hundley's trade value, I mean, no better way to do it. <laughs> that would be one way to do it, for Aaron Rodgers to go down and to have Brett Hundley play well. I hope it's not Aaron Rodgers, and I hope it's not somebody along the offensive line. I'm just not sold on the depth there. I think there's some good potential there, but it would be tough to see them go through all of the season with just a patchwork offensive line. I think they could do it, but uh, it would be a real bummer to see. What would be worse, the actual watching the patchwork offensive line or the takes about the patchwork offensive line. Oh, it would be the takes for sure. Uh, everybody's got yes. a take. And everybody, offensive line is one thing that unless you are an offensive line coach or have played offensive line at a high level, you just don't have any idea what's going on. And that's why I'm always so skeptical of even pro football focus, who's who's well regarded. Uh, I will, I'll grant them that, even though I don't like what, what they do in some ways. 
even pro football focus, I have a hard time believing that they can accurately grade um, offensive line play. There was somebody doing one of those those Twitter threads the other day where they linked together a whole bunch of plays, and they had what they called the the number one offensive line play of the year. And it was it was a block by David Bakhtiari. They gave him, they were just like, look at him blocking two guys on one play. And he got credit for blocking a guy who fell over. Like the guy fell over, and the way that he fell kind of guided David Bakhtiari to be right into the path of the next guy who just happened to step up into that area. And Bakhtiari gets credit for doing this great block when a guy just fell down. Like, how can you look at that and say that that he's doing a, a fantastic job? Or, you know, I could be completely wrong too. Maybe he really did do a fantastic job. Unless you know what's going on, how do you how do you evaluate these guys? The takes, as you as you said, would be so bad. It would just be I I I'm getting Less and less patience for takes. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Ugh, I, I don't want to think about it. it if, if if we're at any point in the season, it's starting blank. Uh, uh, David or Don Barclay. <laughs> the power sweep may go dark for a couple days in mourning of all the bad takes. It would be so bad. So let's let's end on on a a, a question, a storyline, um, something that we're looking at for the Packers that there's really no way of knowing, but. You you look at where the Packers have been the last two out of the last three seasons, ending their year in the NFC Championship game, and uh, on, on the on the losing end of the NFC Championship game, wondering one thing: how much better do the Packers need to be? I don't have a good answer for that. Do you, Gary? John, I I, I remember I saw a clip, and I don't remember where it was from, but it was. It was Aaron Rodgers on the sidelines right before the Atlanta game. And I think he was saying to one of the offensive linemen how he's never played one of these games at Lambeau. Um, And that makes me think, I think what the Packers need to do is ensure that their postseason games are at home as much as possible. It is really hard to win on the road in the NFL, and it's even harder to win on the road in the postseason. And Packers fans are a little spoiled because we had that awesome postseason run of 2010 where we won three on the road in miraculous fashion. It's going to be hard to repeat that, and there's a reason why I think only two teams have done that, the Pittsburgh Steelers in Super Bowl XL and then XLV with Green Bay. Uh, There's a lot of – there's something to be said about being able to be at home in the postseason – um, and, and as much as the Packers can do that, I think they're going to be in the driver's seat to head to the Super Bowl. Uh, I don't think they need to be remarkably better. They just need to play more home games in January. Yeah, and I guess my my dream scenario is that is the the 1996 season um, because from from about November or so, just looking back at the way things worked out, that Sunday night game where they shook off the Rams and and took care of business after an ugly start. From that point through the Super Bowl, it just felt like manifest destiny that the Packers were going to win it all. Like, it just felt that way. Um, they had the first round by. They get San Francisco at home, blow, blow them out of the water, 35-14. to 14. They have the Carolina Panthers at home the following week, take care of them, 30-13, to 13, and then cruise to a 35-21 win in the Super Bowl. That's just my dream situation. Like have them at home, have them taking care of business, have Aaron Rodgers 
I think the best playoff game other than that Atlanta game in 2010 that I can remember him playing is the divisional round game against Dallas at home in 2014, just in control. And it would be so much fun to see him just playing like that again at home in the playoffs. I would love to see something like that this year. You you know, John, you bring up an interesting point about that 96 playoff run, and that's the absence of the Dallas Cowboys. You know, the Cowboys had really been a thorn in the Packers side in that 90s, in the in the 90s, much in the same way that I think the Seattle Seahawks have been for the Green Bay Packers. And perhaps, and this is just an idea, but perhaps the path and the how much better do the Packers need to be this season is not so much about the Packers, but more about can someone in the NFC West unseat the Seattle Seahawks or can something happen to Seattle that keeps them from having Green Bay have to travel to that stupid stadium and play in that stupid arena for another Super Bowl trip. Yeah, I I would love to see something like that. I I guess maybe even larger, just would like to see a couple things break the Packers' way. I think, you know, the Packers were, were thoroughly outclassed in Atlanta this year. But even in a game where you're completely outclassed, if a couple things go your way, like you can you can pull an upset pretty if easily. If Rukowski doesn't fumble in the beginning of that Atlanta game, it's a different game. And Mason the momentum Crosby totally changed. And Mason yes. Crosby and and re- remember when Atlanta recovered the ball and rolled into the end zone and somehow it, it the bizarre ruling that the NFL rolled out to give them not only the ball but a touchback out of that as well. It was just a bizarre situation when Mason Crosby missed that field goal. You know, maybe the Packers don't ultimately win that game. But if a couple of things break differently, they could sure have been competitive. And I don't need to tell you how if a couple of things break differently in 2014, the Packers are probably in the Super Bowl with a good chance to beat the New England Patriots there too. It, it, it's just, it, it wouldn't be that big of an ask to ask for a couple different things to break differently. And it would be, it'd be great if a couple of things could break differently for the Packers this year. And and I don't want to be entitled Packer fan here. I'm not saying that nothing ever goes our way. We've had our fair share of breaks. It just seems like those breaks typically happen November, December, and like, but not necessarily in January. In like week 11, something miraculous will happen and the Packers will week, uh, eke out a win. Can we have that in January instead? Well, yeah, think about last season, John. You had the NFC North. The Packers had a really hard road to win that division. They had to run the table. And and they end up with just the luck of the schedule playing Detroit in that final week 17 matchup. The Packers breaks all came before the postseason. It's like they ran out of bullets. Yeah. Uh, I so would... I, I don't want to be entitled Packer fan and say, we never get any breaks. We're so bad. But I do agree with your point that it would be nice if we got something when we get to the NFC Championship game other than a bad hand. Or instead of having that 38 to 10 game that they always seem to have like in the last quarter quarter of the season where they just get everything going and just blow somebody's lid off like last year it was Seattle they just hammered him like everything went the Packers way that game uh, it would be so awesome if that could happen in the NFC championship game instead I mean then you'd have everybody then you'd have the takes about how oh the playoffs are so boring from everybody outside of Green Bay you know it doesn't matter. I want boring playoff games when it's the Packers, especially if they're winning. So 
Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter that I don't go back and rewatch the Bears NFC Championship game in 2010. I don't need to. I'll just watch a Super Bowl. Absolutely. Hey, Gary, while I've got you here, I want to talk about something that that is always on my mind at this time of year. Um, sometime over the next month or so, it's going to be a real bad day for 37 players on the Packers roster right now. Bunch of guys are going to have to get cut for the Packers to get to the 53-man roster limit at the end of training camp. And for some guys, for a fair number of those guys, that's going to be it. There's not going to be any uh, practice squad for them. They're not going to get picked up by a different team. That's going to be the end of their football experience. I was pretty lucky in that I got to play a season of college football. And even I remember the day when I knew that it was it was over. There was there was not going to be any more football for me. And it was hard. I cried that day. It was a, it was a tough day because I, I loved playing the game. And there's a lot of guys who will go through something much more magnified here in the next month. And what I just want to impress on all of our readers and everybody who's listening um, right now to this podcast, these guys are human beings too. They have dreams. They have wanted this for a long time. They have worked hard and you know, every single one of these guys does deserve to be in an NFL training camp. There's nobody who's just who's just there um, out of the goodness of some coach's heart. So bear that in mind as you're watching things over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, some guys aren't going to belong on a 53-man roster, and that's fine. Not everybody's good enough to play professional football week in and week out. But every one of these guys is working hard. Every one of these has a family that's watched them grow up from a young man uh, to become a high school football player, a college football player, and now maybe an NFL player. They're human beings. Uh, remember that when you're talking about cut down day and things like that. I'm off the soapbox now. Uh, the floor is yours, Gary. Thank you for that, John. That's really great. Um, this was fun. I'm glad to be back in the saddle with you, John. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode of Blue 58, we'd love to connect with you on the internet. Find us on the internet. Uh, we're the power sweep, so just go on the internet and shout it into something, and you'll find us. Yeah, shout it in there. Check us out on Facebook, on Twitter, wherever. I think that's about a, a podcast for this week. Do you, do you want to carry us out as you have done so regularly? For Gary Zillavy, I'm John Meerdink. This has been Blue... Wait, wait a minute. I'm not John Meerdink. I'm Gary Zillavy, and that's John Meerdink. Anyway... It's a podcast, and it's over. So thanks for listening.